Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Richard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. been thinking recently about insulation. You know, the, the material that keeps a home how we want it, warm when it's cold, cool when it's hot. It's a buffer that maintains a comfortable temperature for an ease of living. Uh, in this country, we spend a fair amount of our attention and our resources on becoming comfortable, on staying comfortable, on being comfortable. Uh, It turns out there's real purpose in having this insulation. And I've been thinking how it can uh, come at a a hidden cost, which is sometimes when it's uh, so effective, we have a lack of awareness of the actual world around us because it feels so comfortable on the inside. And I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, as I was uh, heading to the celebration of new ministry for the newish rector of St. Augustine's Episcopal Church on Telegraph and 29th in Oakland. Uh, To get there, because of the game day traffic, I decided to uh, head down Martin Luther King. And I then ended up driving up on uh, 29th Street and under the, I think at that point it's the 980 freeway. And I quickly found myself amidst uh, one of the encampments in that stretch. And even though I've been in uh, several encampments, once I found myself there in the deep shadow of the overpass uh, with the stacks of possessions and the rows of tents, I realized that in my body I was feeling really uncomfortable. And I think that's why I've been thinking about insulation, because it was was very clear to me in that moment that enough of my social insulation, uh, my job, my home, my connections, in that moment, they felt uh, stripped away. And I found myself on unfamiliar ground, half a block from the church, but far away from the familiarity of that worship and fellowship. Now, nothing more than feelings of profound discomfort followed that realization, but that discomfort has remained with me. Discomfort for the lives that these folks are living and for the insulating comfort that keeps me from knowing them. And it's a discomfort for which I am grateful, actually. Today we 
have been offered one of Jesus's more intense and focused stories. And it's a story that offers its own discomfort. There's a a rich man who dresses in the finest clothes and feasts on what we can assume is the freshest organic produce and is all locally uh, produced. And outside of his estate, laying outside the gates, there lived a man named Lazarus. Now, here I'd like to, this is to me one of the more interesting facets of this story, that the character with a vast amount of power remains unnamed, while the character that exists on the margins that is overlooked and ignored is named. And over the centuries, commentators have attempted to name this rich man, but I prefer to keep him anonymous because I think it's all the better to enter into his shoes. We don't learn much more about their relationship on earth, only that Lazarus starves while the rich man feasts, and that Lazarus hungers simply for the scraps from those feasts. In the story, both die, and the rich man is buried in tormented in Hades while Lazarus is carried away by the angels and lies in the bosom of Abraham. And somehow across the expanse of this metaphysical space, the rich man sees Lazarus reclining by Abraham's side. And while he is burning up in the flames of Hades, the rich man begs Abraham to send Lazarus to just like just touch this water with the tip of his finger just to cool his tongue. And here's where the rich man's request betrays himself. Because instead of seeing Lazarus as a subject of his own life, he once again treats Lazarus as an object, as a means to his own ends in this case as a a tool for the rich man to have just a small comfort in his torturous state. After a lifetime of ignoring relationship with Lazarus, the rich man attempts to claim some kind of relationship, but actually just with the ancestor of ancestors, Abraham. Lazarus is just there uh, so that he could have his misery relieved. In life and in death, the rich man is incapable of seeing Lazarus for who he is, a human of essential dignity. And the chasm of comfort that he created on earth renders him incapable of truly seeing the human in front of him. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine was walking through El Cerrito Plaza, And as they crossed the parking lot to get to Trader Joe's, they were approached by a woman with a simple question. I'm hungry, she said. Would you buy me some food? Now, I don't know why this particular request made a difference to my friend. Maybe it was the mood they were in. Perhaps it was the intervention of the spirit. 
Or maybe the woman's question pierced the layers of comfort that my friend was bundled in that day. After a moment of hesitation, my friend's response was simple. Sure, what would you like? Sushi was the response. (laughs) So over to the Japanese restaurant, they walked. And on the way, the woman asked my friend a question that will remain with them for a long time. Why don't people talk to me? Why don't people talk to me? I just want food. My friend paused, and and the thoughts of all the times that they themselves had walked past someone or mumbled a a, a noncommittal response or apologized for not helping, they all came flooding forward. Maybe they don't have time. Maybe they're unsure of what to do. But I'm just hungry. I just want to eat. Two California rolls later, my friend wished the woman a good day, but her question, why don't people talk to me, would not go away. They were left to wonder. I've been left to wonder. Why is it that many of us don't talk with the people around us asking for help? What is it that prevents us from listening from sharing of what we have? Is it a concern that it won't be used as we would wish? Is it an exhaustion from all the pain that we see? Is it because we don't want to imagine that we could be there ourselves? Is it, dis- is it a discomfort for what we have from what others do not, and for what seems to be a chasm between us. For those of us on this side of the grave, there's a final uncomfortable twist to our story. Because the rich man realizes that while his course is set, that's not the case for his family who remain alive on earth. So he asks Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn them. Once again, still an object of the rich man. But surely if someone rises from the dead, they will repent, they will open their hearts, they will change their ways. No, says Abraham. They have Moses and the prophets to listen to. That should be enough to waken them, enough of a righteous path to follow. Over and over and over again, the law and the prophets teach the people, remind the people, implore the people of God to share what they have, to make sure that everyone has food and clothes and shelter. These sacred texts are clarion calls to beware of the collective danger of social insulation, that our own comfort is not the purpose of life. These texts should be enough. The rich man will not be deterred. He's had a lifetime of getting people to do what he wants. You don't get it, the rich man says. If someone comes from the dead to let them know how to live, to warn them of the dangers of insulating themselves with comfort, then surely they will will change their ways. If someone teaches 
that there's enough bread and fish to feed thousands? If someone repeatedly calls those from outside the gates to feast at the tables where he eats, if that someone were to be killed for healing and feeding and loving without condition, and then if that person breaks the bonds of hell and rises to life again, surely they would listen and be changed. Surely they would, right? 